Let's pray. Lord God, we come before you and we proclaim that you are the true God. You are our living God, Lord, and we ask that your Holy Spirit would open our hearts and our minds and our ears to your truth, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you would pour out your wisdom onto Pastor Matt as he speaks this morning, that your spirit, Lord, would move us to be willing servants, Lord, and be open to your mission. Lord, we ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Donica. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. <clears throat> All right, well, good morning. How are we? Good. Well, uh, I'm excited to be here with you. It's an honor that you guys would come and worship Jesus with us each and every week. And, uh, you know, it's my privilege to get to open up God's word this morning and see what it would say to us as we continue in our worship of him through the, the preached word of God this morning. And so um, there's a lot of text here that we're going to look at this morning. We're really going to go back into chapter 18 and pick up where uh, um, Pastor Ryan left off last week. And so we're going to cover a lot of stuff this morning. And really, like, I could probably preach three sermons for you guys today. And so if you guys want that, we can get out one o'clock or so. But um, instead, I think that... You know, we want to get around to celebrating baptisms with each other and seeing what God is doing here and now. And, um, you know, so I'm going to try and get this into one sermon. And, and so there's one verse that kind of ties all of this together for us. And so if you don't have your Bibles out, you need to have them out because we're going to be going through this. And uh, we want you to be able to see that what we're talking about here this morning comes straight from the Bible, straight from the Word of God. This isn't something that we have made up or conjured up on our own. And so we're on page 928. We're going to look at verse 20 out of chapter 19 to get us started this morning. And it's this. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. And so we're going to look at three different accounts, but this is really this verse that brings them all together. And we see this is the verse that, that would be the main theme through what we're looking at this morning. And so... We might ask ourselves, why is it that the word of God would continue to grow and prevail mightily? Well, when we talk about the word of the Lord here, we're really talking about the gospel message. And so I just want to define what that gospel message is for us right out of the gate because I'm going to be using that word a lot and I just want to make sure that we're all on the same page on what we're talking about. This is the message that Paul went around and was preaching in every place that he would go to, that Jesus was the Christ. That he was the Messiah, the true and living God. And so what Paul would preach is that Jesus lived a perfect life in obedience to the law of God. And that he did that in order that we might be considered righteous through his perfect life. And that he died a sacrificial death on our behalf on the cross. Because as we confessed earlier, none of us fully keep the word of God. None of us live up to God's standards and so we find ourselves in sin and we need a sacrifice to be made on our behalf so that we could enter into relationship with God. And Jesus is that sacrifice. He died the death that we deserve to die. But the good news is that he didn't remain dead. He rose 
from the grave, thus authenticating everything that he taught, everything that he did, and the sacrifice that was made on our behalf. And so this is the word of God. This is the gospel message that has been preached from the beginning of the book of Acts up until this point of time. And this is the word that continues to increase and prevail mightily throughout the earth. And it continues to grow. It continues to prevail because the gospel is greater. And today we're going to see three ways or three things that the gospel is greater than and why it's actually greater than those things. And so um, we're going to break down the sermon like this. In verses um, from chapter 18, verse 24 to 1910, we see that the gospel is greater than other religious systems because it brings life. As we look at verses 11 through 20, we see that the gospel is greater than other forms of spirituality because it is the power of God. And then from 21 through the end of the chapter, we see that the gospel is greater than our other objects of worship because it gives us true security and freedom. And so we're going to go back to chapter 18, verse 24, and we're going to see how the gospel is greater than other religious systems because it gives us life. So because there's so much text, I've kind of been challenged in preaching this this morning. Um, I would just ask that you'd pray for me as we go through this. What I'm going to try and do is just read the chunk and then pull out the things that um, God has really just revealed to me as, we've, as I've gone through this, all right? So, starting in verse 24. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. And on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all. Okay, so we've got two accounts of really... Um, the gospel being preached to, to Apollos and then to uh, these disciples in Ephesus. And we see that Apollos and these disciples in, in Ephesus, they have something in common. They, they had heard about God, they were followers of God, but they only knew up until the point of the baptism of John. And so when we refer to the baptism of John, we're really talking about John the Baptist. And so he was the forerunner of the Messiah who came before Christ 
And his job was to prepare the way for the Messiah to come. And so he preached a message of repentance, the Apostle Paul tells us in verse 4. And we can go back and look at the gospel accounts and read about um, John the Baptist. And, And his message was this, to repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. The Messiah was coming. He would soon be on the scene. And so he was trying to prepare the hearts of the people of Israel for his arrival. And their hearts needed to be prepared because the nation of Israel had forsaken the law of God. They had turned from this Old Testament law, the system of um, sacrifices and the do's and don'ts that we read about in the Old Testament. They had turned from it. And and they were doing their own thing and, and John was calling them back to that law, to be obedient to it, to live in repentance toward it because the Messiah was coming. But to live in obedience to the law, to follow all the do's and don'ts, it's not enough. No matter what religious system you might follow, whether it's that of the Old Testament or any other system of do's and don'ts that you think are good enough to get you into the presence of God in heaven, it's not enough. And so we see that both Priscilla and Aquila and Paul, they preach to them the way of God more accurately. Because yes, there is a system of do's and don'ts. But the truth is is that none of us can keep it completely. And that's why Jesus had to come and live perfectly on our behalf. And so both Priscilla and Aquila And Paul, they preach to these men that Jesus was that Messiah, the one who actually did it perfectly, who lived uh, according to God's standards the way that they were being called to. And that their faith and trust needed to be in Jesus and him alone. Now, as a side note here, Priscilla and Aquila, these are, are people who, they had heard about Jesus from Paul, And Paul left them behind in the city of Ephesus. And we see them here ministering to Apollos. They weren't some super apostles. They weren't going on all these missionary journeys that Paul was going on. These were everyday Christians. People who had their jobs of tent making. But in in their worship of God, they came across Apollos. and, And he didn't understand the way of God the way that they did. And so they took it upon themselves to share that with Apollos. We see these more mature Christians coming alongside this person, Apollos, who was growing in his faith, but he hadn't fully yet come to faith in Jesus, and they were sharing that gospel truth with him. And really, this is an illustration of what we seek to be as a church. One of our core values over here, if you look, it says that we're disciples making disciples. The job of the maturing of the church, the job of coming alongside of each other, it's not just on me and the other pastors, it's on all of us. That's what we commit ourselves to be. And that's what we see Priscilla and Aquila doing here. And so church, take, take courage in that. Take encouragement in that, that this is what we're called to be. And so like, this is what happens week after week in our community groups. And this is what we seek to be is older men coming alongside younger men and showing them what it means to walk with God, showing them what it means to be husbands and fathers. Older women coming alongside younger women and showing them what it means to just walk with God as a woman, to be wives, to be mothers. This is what God has built into the church and this is what we seek to be here and we see Priscilla and Aquila doing that. And so that's just on the side note, okay? But they're, they're pointing these people 
both Apollos and these disciples in Ephesus to faith in Jesus. Because it's only through faith in Jesus that we can experience new life through the Spirit of God. And so it says in verse 5, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. And so... This is an amazing thing. They, they, they had heard of God. They had heard of the baptism of John, but they hadn't heard that Jesus was the Messiah. And so Paul and Priscilla and Aquila, they were filling the gaps of their understanding of who God was. You know, it's, it's kind of like this. How many of you guys have seen uh, Star Wars Rogue One? Okay, some of you guys. If you've only seen Star Wars Rogue One, can you be a fan of Star Wars? Yeah, right? Because it's an amazing movie. Let's just be honest right there. Okay? I, I'm, I'm, I might spoil something for you here in a minute. But if all you've ever seen is Star Wars Rogue One, are you, like, do you have this full understanding of what's going on in the Star Wars universe? No, right? Like, you think it just ends on a beach with a bunch of people dying, right? Unless you're Gavin. And he thinks they're still alive, so. Okay? But you don't know that their sacrifice went to something greater in the destruction of the Death Star, unless you've seen a new hope. Well, it's kind of this, you know, they understood about God up until a certain point. But then Paul and Priscilla and Aquila came and gave them greater revelation about the whole truth of God, and it changed their lives miraculously. They were baptized in the name of Jesus, because now this baptism in Jesus, it, it, it represents re repentance and regeneration, that they were made brand new. And so this morning when we have baptisms here, that's what we're celebrating, is that the people who are being baptized have repented. They have turned from their sin and towards God, but they've also placed their faith and trust in him, and he has made them brand new. Amen. And he has poured out his spirit upon them, we see in verse 6. And now this is... The last time in the book of Acts that we see God's spirit being poured out in such a profound way to where the, the company of tongues and, and prophesying comes with it. And so if we look at the other accounts and think back to them as we've gone through the book of Acts, um, we saw that when the gospel first came to the Jews in Jerusalem, that the spirit was poured out in, in such a powerful way that tongues and prophesying came with it. When the gospel came to the Samaritans for the first time, when the Spirit was poured out, the gift of tongues and prophesying came with it. And then when the gospel came to the Gentiles for the first time, the Spirit was poured out in the exact same way. And the Spirit was poured out in this way to authenticate the genuineness of the faith of these people, that God actually had saved them. And so now we have to ask, why is it being poured out in the same manner here? Well, I think that what... God is trying to get to for us is that repentance is not enough. Our obedience to the law of God or some system of do's and don'ts does not bring new life. Jesus said that you must be born again and I think that God is making it abundantly clear here that we can see that the gospel is greater than any religious system because it truly brings life. Now as Christians, we find ourselves in a, in a precarious place sometimes. 
because we have the gospel of God that our faith is in, but we also have the law of God. And sometimes we try and elevate the law of God and think that we can live according to the law of God on our own, in our own power, and that that will gain us right relationship with God. Even as Christians, we have a tendency of doing this. But we need to be reminded that it's only the gospel that gives us life. And it's only through faith that we have true relationship with God. And so then we read in verse 8, it says, And he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. And this continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Remember, verse 20 is that key verse that says that the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily, and we see that here. Paul is preaching the word of God in the synagogue. It's his pattern. He starts in the synagogue going to the Jewish people because those are the people that he loves and cares about because those are his people. But in city after city, they reject him. And so what does he do? He goes to the Gentiles because they're willing to listen to him. And he met in the school of Tyrannus for two years preaching the gospel. I remember back to us being in a school for years preaching the gospel. And we're, we're, we're following in Paul's you know, path here. But he did it and it said that they continued, this continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. The word of the Lord continued to increase to the point to where everybody in Asia had a gospel witness. And we want to see that happening here in the city of Sparks, here in northern Nevada. So we need to continue to preach the word of God. And now look at verse 11. This might be the craziest chunk of scripture, like the, in existence, I think. Like there's three really like awesome things that happen, but it's just, it's amazing. So look at verse 11. It says, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that he had touched or that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Siva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. <laughs> It's crazy, right? And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. And many of those who are now believers came confessing and divulging their practices, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. So the first thing that's amazing here is that Paul's handkerchiefs and aprons are healing people and casting out demons. Now what the author of Acts is 
contrasting this against is the, the, that magic and sorcery and divination were actually pre- prevalent forms of, of spirituality in the city of Ephesus. And so what we see here is that this is not magic, it's miraculous. God is doing a mighty work through sweatbands and snot rags. Like, that's crazy, right? Like, I carry a handkerchief in my pocket, and Pastor Kyle says that I'm like the only guy that still carries a handkerchief. And I tell you this, nobody wants to touch my handkerchief. And when they do, they're disgusted by it, not healed by it. But Paul's handkerchiefs are healing people. It's coming against this whole spirituality of their culture that was obsessed with divination and and magic and sorcery. And so when I talk about that in our culture, we kind of dismiss that. Magic and divination and sorcery, those are things that we try and reason away or discredit in our culture. But I, I I want to let you guys know that it's real. And there are people that are committed to those things. And there might even be some of us in this room who have practiced in some of those things not really knowing about it. Like, you can drive down the street in Reno and you can stop and get your tarot cards read for $8 or a psychic can tell you your future for 15 bucks. Those are forms of sorcery and divination. People who are tapping into dark spirits and forces in this world. You can go down to Toys R Us and buy yourself a Ouija board. But that is a way that spirits tend to speak to and communicate with people. I go to this chiropractor and she's doing this weird new thing and I just thought it was weird at first but the more research that we've done we realize that she's tapping into spirits to try and figure out how to best adjust our backs and so like that's something that we can't be a part of. And then on top of that part of these um, you know, part of sorcery and divination included the use of uh, mind-altering substances. And we live in a culture that there's a lot of drug use that takes place. And even in our city just recently, like the illegal use of marijuana just came about. But these are all things that can be connected to magic and sorcery and divination. And I think that as Christians, sometimes we're unaware of that. We're ignorant towards that. Now as we go on in this section, we see that there's some exorcists and they think that what Paul's doing is magic. They think that the name of Jesus is some sort of magic word. And you guys maybe have seen that like with televangelists, right? They, they're casting out demons and healing people in the name of Jesus. And if you say it loud enough, that it's going to happen, right? Well, that's what these guys are thinking. And, and, and notice what they say. I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. It's not a Jesus that they know. It's a Jesus who Paul proclaims. But they knew that there was power in what Paul was doing. And so they wanted to try and take advantage of that for themselves. But the evil spirit answered them. Jesus I know and Paul I recognize but who are you? 
You see, the power wasn't in Paul. The power was in Jesus. And these men had no relationship with him. And so look what happens to them. And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them. This is a one-on-seven fight, and he made them all tap. Like, and not only that, but he like stripped them, beat them, and sent them away naked. Like, first of all, how humiliating would it be to try and cast out a demon and it not come out? And then to have it kick the tar out of you and send you away naked in front of everybody to see. Like, do you think that these guys had much of a business anymore? Their ministry was done. Because they had no genuine power. The power is in Jesus and relationship with him. And we get that through the gospel. And so, upon seeing this happen, fear of God fell upon the men of Ephesus. And the name of the Lord was extolled. You see, these people, they saw that the Jesus that Paul preached, he was the true God. He was the real deal. And he was the only one to be worshipped. And so many of them began worshipping him. Remember, they had heard this message. Paul had been there preaching for two years. And now this situation authenticated the fact that what Paul was preaching was true. And so... Crazy things happen again. We see that, and many of those who are now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. When we're encountered with who God truly is, the God of the universe, holy and majestic, the only thing that we can do is see ourselves as less than that and confess our sins to him. And that's what these people began doing. They began confessing and divulging their practices running away from their old lives and running to Christ. And it says, And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found that it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. Like I said, magic was a big part of their spirituality. But these people now saw that there's no power in the magic that they were practicing. They saw that the true power comes from relationship with Jesus. And so what do they do? They got rid of all of that stuff. They counted it as useless now because it had no power. And this is crazy because books at this time were expensive. It's not like you could just get on Amazon and order it for $8 and it would be here in two days. If you wanted a book, somebody had to write it out, which probably took weeks or months or years. And it cost a whole lot more than those $8 or $15 that we spent on books. In our context today, these 50,000 pieces of silver is more than $10 million worth of books that they were willing to get rid of because they were worthless to them at this point in time because they had no power. The gospel is greater than their forms of spirituality because it's the power of God. And so they began worshiping him. And we see that the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily as they gave up their old way of living, as they gave up the things that they had trusted in their former forms of spirituality. And we see that happens in our lives as well. Like when I read this account, I think of my own life and my own conversion. When I became a Christian 
and I, and I began to be convicted by God. There were things in my life that had to be burned and destroyed. I remember um, just being convicted and in community with some of the people that um, were a part of my church. They came over and they helped me to do my cleansing. And uh, I got rid of my porn collection. They took all my drug paraphernalia and we broke it and threw it out and got rid of it. Because those things no longer had any power in my life. Those things weren't the things that I found hope in. Jesus was. I remember the week after I became a Christian, I went on a road trip with one of my friends. And uh, one of the things that I still held on to at that point in time was smoking cigarettes. And uh, we, we got to the place that we were going to eat dinner and we ate some food. And afterwards, like after you eat, like if you're a smoker, you, you go and have a cigarette, right? It's the way to cap off your meal. So I went outside and I was like, oh, I'm going to go smoke a cigarette. He's like, why? I was like, well, I need to smoke a cigarette. And he grabbed my cigarettes and just crushed them. And I was like, what? He's like, you don't need these. And he was right. I didn't have to smoke another cigarette from that time on. Like that's how God had freed me. And that's what God was doing to these people. He's freeing them. The word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily in their lives. And now we have this account of this riot. And this is the largest portion of scripture. Um, I'm just going to ask that you bear with me. I'm going to read it again because it's worth reading. And it is the word of God and in it we find life. So verse 21. Now after these events, Paul resolved in the spirit to pass through Macedonia and Achaia and go to Jerusalem saying, after I have been there, I must also see Rome. And having sent into Macedonia two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, he himself stayed in Asia for a while. And so these are Paul's plans. Paul's a missionary. This is where he's planning to go, where he's planning to stop, and what he has to look forward to. And it says that about that time, there arose no little disturbance concerning the way. And that was just one of the ways in which they... um, talked about the church in the early days was the way it says for a man named Demetrius a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis brought no little business to the craftsmen these he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said men you know that from this business we have our wealth and you see and hear that not only in Ephesus But in almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there is danger not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis may be counted as nothing, and that she may even be disposed from her magnificence, she whom all Asia and the world worship. When they heard this, They were enraged and were crying out, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. So the city was filled with the confusion, and they rushed together into the theater, dragging with them Gaius and Aristarchus, Macedonians, who were Paul's companions in travel. But when Paul wished to go in among the crowd, the disciples would not let him. And even some of the Asiarchs, and those are just high-ranking officers in Asia, who were friends of his, sent to him, and were urging him not to venture into the theater. Now some cried out one thing, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Some of the crowd prompted Alexander, 
whom the Jews had put forward, and Alexander, motioning with his hand, wanted to make a defense to the crowd. The Jews wanted to separate themselves from the Christians. Like, we're, we're not among them, so don't, don't be mean to us and don't beat us up. And so that's what was happening here. But when they recognized that he was a Jew, for about two hours, they all cried out with one voice, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And when the town clerk had quieted the crowd, he said, Men of Ephesus, who is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is the temple keeper of the great Artemis and of the sacred stone that fell from the sky? Seeing that these things they cannot, that cannot be denied, you ought to be quiet and do, not, do nothing rash. For you have brought these men here who are neither sacrilegious nor blasphemers of our goddess. If therefore Demetrius and the craftsmen with him have a complaint against anyone, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. Let them bring charges against one another. But if you seek anything further, it shall be settled in the regular assembly. For we are really in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. And when he had said this, the, or when he had said these things, he dismissed the assembly. So in this final section, we see that the gospel is greater than any other object of our worship because it brings true security and freedom. So if we go through here, we're looking for objects of worship. The first one that's really plain is this goddess Artemis. There was a temple in the city of Ephesus dedicated to this goddess Artemis. Because at one point in time, some stone fell from heaven and they thought it was a sign from the gods. And it resembled what they thought Artemis looked like. And so they built this temple around it and the, the city became known as um, the chief city for the worship of this goddess. And, and so in our culture, we're not really worshiping gods like this. You know, we don't go and find the mother goddess to worship as these people did. But we see through this text that that's not the only thing that these people were worshiping. It's not the only idol that they had in their lives, even though it was the most apparent. As we go through and we look at what's said in this section by Demetrius and by the town clerk, we're going to see two other idols are exposed that we might be able to connect with a little bit more. The first one, looking at verse 25, says, These he gathered together with the workmen in similar trades and said, Men, you know that from this business we have our wealth. And you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but in almost all Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away a great many people, saying that gods made with hands are not gods. So the silversmith, he comes to the people trying to present his case as he's concerned about the worship of the goddess, but what is he really concerned about? His money, right? His wealth, his financial security. If people stop worshiping this goddess, then people stop buying little shrines to this goddess that he makes, and he stops making his money. You see, he was more concerned about his financial security and his wealth than he was about the worship of this goddess. And I think that as Americans, we could say that as a culture, we're definitely consumed with and focused on our financial security. 
I know that even as a Christian, I find it hard sometimes to even have faith in God because I have faith in my job and the money that it gets for me. And so if somebody tried to take that away from me, would I be fighting the way that these men were fighting? Because I want to hold on to my security. But remember, the gospel is greater than any other object of our worship. Because in this case, the gospel gives us true security. You can take away my job, but if I'm in Jesus, can you take that away from me? No, I'm secure in him. That's what we need to trust in as Christians. Going down to um, verse 35, we see that the town clerk, he, he then starts to make a case for why they should stop this riot. And in this, another idol is exposed. Verse 40 says, For we really are in danger of being charged with rioting today, since there is no cause that we can give to justify this commotion. You see, what this town clerk brings up is that this riot would put them in danger of losing their freedom. Ephesus was a, a, a Roman province at this time, and so it was under Roman rule. But, you know, Rome liked to just let people do their thing. But when you got out of hand, Rome would send in centurions and legions of soldiers and, and governors that would rule you um, with an iron fist, basically. And that's not something that these people wanted to give up. They didn't want to lose their freedom, their personal autonomy. And as Americans, this is something that we can connect with. We're the land of the free and the home of the brave, right? And I'm not dogging on us as a country. I am glad that I was born in America because I can get up here and I can do what I'm doing today. Because we do have the freedom to worship. We do have the freedom of speech. We do have freedom of press and all the other freedoms that we can talk about as being people who are born in America. But know this, that being able to do what you want when you want doesn't mean that you're free. Being able to do what you want when you want doesn't mean that you're free. True freedom only exists in Jesus. Jesus said that if the Son has set you free, that you are free indeed. But we also read the Apostle Paul saying that outside of Christ, that we're slaves to sin. We're in bondage to sin. It holds us captive and keeps calling us back. And some of you guys, even as Christians, we can feel that. But we have freedom in Christ. And so the gospel is greater than our idols, than any other object of our worship, because it brings true freedom, because it brings true security. And what the call out to us as Christians would be from this section is don't go back to slavery. Oftentimes, we rejoice in our freedoms. We rejoice in what we have in Christ, but we then turn to other things. We put our hopes in our work. We put our hopes in what we can do. We put our hopes in our comfort. We seek after pleasure. Those are just ways of going back to slavery. And the gospel would call us to freedom, to continue to put our trust in Jesus, to continue to let him show us how free we are in him and in the gospel. 
And so if we're looking at this and going that the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily, how do we see God's word prevailing mightily here? Well, we see that this is the beginning of a revival in this city. People are stopping the worship of the old gods, turning to Christ. And if we were to look forward into future from this moment, the city of Ephesus would become the center of Christianity in Asia in the first century. And so this temple of Artemis, though it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, that it's said to have been built with 121 columns that took 120 years to produce, it wasn't able to actually be located until the mid-1980s. And the reason why? Because this temple was destroyed. Because in this city, Christianity became so predominant that people stopped worshiping Artemis. They broke her temple down and they used those columns to build churches. That's an amazing thing. And we see this happening time and time again throughout history. When a revival comes to an area that the gods of that area, they cease to be worshipped. And those things be, are turned into um, centers of worship. Like in the Welsh revival in the early 1900s, all of the bars in Wales shut down and they became churches. Could you imagine in our cities, what things would shut down if we stopped worshipping the gods of this world and only worshipped God? If we want God's word to continue to grow and prevail in this city, we need to remember these three things. That the gospel is greater than any other system of religion because it brings true life. We need to remember that the gospel is greater than any other form of spirituality because in it is the power of God. And we need to remember that the gospel is greater than any other object of our worship because it brings true security and true freedom. And if we hold tight to that and we continue to preach this gospel that changes lives that we're going to get to experience this morning through baptisms, we will see the word of God continue to increase and prevail mightily. Let's pray. God, we, uh, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the reminder of how great your gospel is, of how great the truth is that saves us that you lived a perfect life to give us your righteousness because we couldn't do it on our own, that you died a sacrificial death to pay for our sins because we couldn't do it on our own, but that you rose from the dead, authenticating both of those things to be true, and now you demand our worship. You call us to cling to you and to nothing else because in you we have true life. God, would you be with us now as we continue to worship you this morning. In Jesus' name.